Good morning, Grace Point. Uh, Before we dive into the message this morning, I just want to make you aware of one significant thing that's coming up in the life of our church, and that's the the launch of our fall sermon series and our fall growth groups. And this year we have uh, some material to go along with that sermon series. The series will be called The Battle Within. And so Pastor Steve and Pastor Serenity and Dave have worked really hard to put this um, growth group guide that goes along with that sermon series. And these are available starting today. And so I want to encourage you after the service to stop by either the information center or the growth group kiosk and pick up one of these booklets. Um, you can kind of begin to familiarize yourself with it. And, and this is something that you could do as a family around the dinner table. You could push into some of the sermon topics each week. Uh, there's some additional readings in there, or you could jump into a growth group. That full listing of groups will come out in the next couple of weeks. Um, But we just so believe that there's something powerful about gathering in a small group of believers and pushing deeper. Um, As a pastor, as a Christ follower, I fundamentally believe that that's one of the chief places uh, that God causes us to grow is within the confines of community. Um, This morning, then, as we dive into the message, I want to talk about this idea of, of stewardship. And stewardship is one of those terms that's, I think, inherently churchy, right? We don't really hear the word stewardship much outside of of church world, church language. So I want to flesh out this concept for us and talk a little bit about when I say the word stewardship, what do I mean and what does that look like for us as believers? And, And I think you get a good sense of what stewardship looks like when you think about what it is to loan something to someone. So when someone comes to you and they ask you to borrow something, Essentially, what you do is you take something that belongs to you and you entrust it into their care. Now, you're not telling the person this is now your thing. They don't own it, but for a season, that item of yours is under their care, under their protection. They're stewarding it. So in a sense, to steward something is to look after or care for what actually belongs to someone else. It's that simple. Now, the problem is sometimes you loan something to someone and they don't steward it well. So have you ever let someone borrow something and they return it broken or just really dirty and they don't say anything, they just kind of like drop it and run? And you're like, what, what is this? I lent you something that worked and I get it back and it's not functional. Part of you thinks, next time they ask, I don't know if I'm going to let them borrow something because they don't steward my stuff well. Now, stewardship isn't just about material things. Stewardship can be seen, for instance, in the way that you do your job. When you were hired by a company, they turn over an area of responsibility, they give you a role, and what they're saying is, we want you to steward, to look after, to care for this particular function in the organization. So take, for example, uh, the story of someone like Joaquin Garcia. He was hired by the deputy mayor of a city in Spain to oversee their wastewater treatment facility. Kind of a big deal, because if the wastewater treatment facility doesn't work, Lots of bad things happen, right? So this is a fundamental function in a small town like this. So the deputy mayor hires Mr. Garcia. He's going to do his job great, and he exits the picture. Uh, Until 20 years later, they, they do this thing where they give an award for two decades of dedicated service. So the deputy mayor has this award for dedicated service, and he goes to find Mr. Garcia, and he can never get a hold of him. So, so finally, the deputy mayor actually goes down to the wastewater treatment facility, and he starts looking to see where Mr. Garcia is, and the plant engineer, who has an office across from Mr. Garcia, happens to be in that morning. So the mayor pops in, deputy mayor, and he says, hey, have you seen Mr. Garcia? I've got this award 
for two decades of dedicated service. And the engineer goes, um, I literally haven't seen Mr. Garcia for about two years. And the deputy mayor at this point is like, what happened? Did this guy retire? I mean, is he dead? Like, what's going on here? And so the deputy mayor goes back and he checks payroll. And sure enough, Mr. Garcia is still every month getting a paycheck. So he's like, we have to figure out what's going on here. So come to find out, they track down Mr. Garcia and get this. For six years, he didn't show up to work. And, and in fact, when they, when they dug through the records, it's likely that it's up to 14 years that this guy just didn't show up for work. And, and the reason they didn't know is the wastewater treatment facility had a board, and the board thought Mr. Garcia worked for the city, and the city thought Mr. Garcia worked for the wastewater board, and so no one ever checked in on him. So, so this guy, rather than going to work for six years, instead chose to skip work and study Dutch philosophy. <laughs> as one does when you skip work, right? <laughs> and, and so Mr. Garcia, he, he's functioning with what I call an ownership mentality. So rather than showing up and stewarding the area of responsibility that was entrusted to his care, Mr. Garcia decides, listen, I'm going to do what I want. I own the place. And so rather than carrying out the purpose and the agenda that he was hired for and that was entrusted to his care, decides he's going to call his own shots and do his own thing. And that's what I call living with an ownership mentality. And so this morning, what I want to talk about is a shift from ownership to stewardship. I think this is the fundamental life or the fundamental shift that we're called to when we live our lives as Christ followers. See, an ownership mentality has this mentality. It says, my life is mine and I will independently decide to choose what I want to do with my life. If you didn't catch the theme there, it's all about my agenda, my purpose, what I want to do. And and the operative question for an ownership mentality is this question. What do I want to invest my life in? What should I do with my life? Now, the the bigger idea behind that question is, is where do I, I find purpose and significance? It's not altogether a bad question. The problem is I think that ownership question, what do I want to do with my life, is incomplete you see, a stewardship mentality asks, or recognizes this. It recognizes my life is not my own, but it's a gift that God has given me. Did you catch that? Ownership says my life is my own. I will decide independently what I want to do. Stewardship recognizes that my life is a gift of God's grace. And so the operative question in stewardship is how would God have me invest the life that he's blessed me with? What does God want me to do with my life? And when we ask that question, what it does is it opens up our agenda, it opens up our plan for our life, and invites God to speak directionally into how we spend and invest our time, talents, energy, resources, everything. Invites God into that process. So this morning, I want to talk about this big idea of what it is to live as stewards and recognize that our life is to be about God's purpose. That I don't get to set the purpose and the agenda for my own life, but when I recognize that my life is a gift from God, I'm going to steward it according to God's plan and to God's purpose. And so as we flesh this out this morning, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 31. And I want to look at this story. I want to look at what are three principles for stewardship. What does this parable teach us about stewardship? And then I want to look at this question of why do we resist stewardship? And I want to flesh out some of the things that cause us to be resistant to this idea. So if you would read along with me in Matthew chapter 25, verse 15. By the way, commercial for growth groups, 
A lot of this sermon for me came out of a conversation that I had with my growth group on Sunday morning. And it just, it's, it's fundamentally important to be a part of that environment. It's shaped my own life in profound ways. Anyway, commercial over. Back to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verse 14. It says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who'd received five bags of gold went at once, put his money to work, and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more, but the man who'd received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground to, and see, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you know I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have least received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this story is one of the parables that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Matthew. And when we talk about a a parable, a parable is a Jewish rabbinical way of teaching. So the rabbi, the teacher, would often tell a story rather than just teaching straight principles. And the the idea behind this is that in telling the parable, uh, the meaning is just hidden enough that I as a listener have to step back and go, okay, now what does he mean by this? And, and what it does when you tell a parable is it invites the, the audience that's hearing the story, it invites them to reflect and to think. It, it, it sort of stirs and agitates people just enough to invite them into the learning process. And so as Jesus tells the story, what he's trying to do is to invite the people who are listening to this into this process of thinking and praying and reflecting about what the kingdom of God looks like and functions like. You notice in verse 14, it begins with what seems like a simple phrase. Again, it will be like. Now that little word, it, uh, if you go back to chapter 25, verse 1, you'll realize that Jesus begins the parables by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. So when he says, again, it, he's saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And when we talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, what we mean is this is what the world will look like when all things are finally and fully redeemed. When God's redemptive purpose is finally and fully fulfilled, here is what things will look like. And so in a sense, what Jesus is doing here in this parable is describing a snapshot of what the culture of heaven looks like. Now, particularly in this context, this is part of a larger teaching in Matthew chapter 24, going through chapter 25. And what Jesus has been teaching about is this idea that while he's announced that God's plan is unfolding, there's a season of waiting 
And we as a church, we're in that season of waiting where Jesus has announced salvation, but we await Jesus to return and to bring it in its fullness. And so here's the fundamental question of this parable. As the people of God who are awaiting the kingdom of God, how ought we to live? As the people of God who are awaiting the kingdom of God, how should we live in this season of waiting? And as Jesus tells this parable, I think he invites us into a life of significant and intentional stewardship of our lives. But to do that, I think we have to grasp hold of three core principles of stewardship. And I think the first core principle of stewardship that we see in this parable is that we don't own it. Look at Matthew 25, verse 14. It says again, it, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants, catch this, and entrusted his wealth to them. It doesn't say that the master gave the servants the wealth and said, now this is yours, do whatever you want with it. No, th- there's the sense that the master takes what's his, his wealth, in the, in the context of this story, he entrusts it to his servants, and the idea is that the servant carries out the agenda and purpose of the master. That, that's what a servant is. A servant never seeks to do their own agenda. A servant always says, what's the master's agenda, and how can I faithfully fulfill and push into what the master has tasked me with doing? So stewardship fundamentally recognizes that my life The time, talents, abilities, the resources, the things that I have been blessed with are not my own. I don't own it. And can we just be honest and say we hate this idea? Because because ownership equals control, which equals safety. If I own something, I can call the shots, I can determine the course of action, and I know I'm pretty good at not asking myself to do anything that's beyond my comfort zone. How about you? Right? I know where I'm safe. I know where I feel comfortable. I know where I feel in control. I mean, I mean how, how many people, I won't show of hands, but I should, but I know the answer. How many people love feeling out of control? I mean, do, do you love being in a situation where you have no control over what's happening? We, we wrestle with that. And, and so I think this idea of, of stewardship that recognizes I don't own my life, but God has entrusted me with a sphere of influence. He's entrusted me with time, talents, gifts, and abilities to be stewarded for his purposes. That means I have to give up control. That means I have to recognize that it's not ultimately about my plan, my purpose, or my agenda. Second principle of stewardship. We're given what we can manage. Notice 25 verse 15, it says, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another he gave two bags of gold, and to another he gave one bag of gold, each according to his ability. And this is one of the realities of the economy of God's kingdom is we're not all given the same sphere of influence, we're not all given the same resources to steward and to manage. But God has entrusted you with a sphere of influence. God has given you gifts and abilities of some kind. The question is, how will you steward what God has given you? We'll we'll come back to this principle later because I I think, honestly, this is one that we struggle with. So first two principles of stewardship. We don't own it. God gives us what we can manage. The third principle of stewardship is this. Stewardship requires faithfulness. You'll notice in both verse 21 and in verse 23, as the servants come back, they offer their investment back to the master. And the master says what? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. 
Stewardship is all about faithfulness to the agenda and to the purpose of the master who's bestowed the gift on the servant. So when we live with a stewardship mentality, recognizing that I don't own my life, faithfulness is about asking the question, God, what would you have me do with my life? God, what is your plan? What is your purpose for my life? How can I submit and surrender my agenda to you and live faithfully and obediently what you have called me to? Because if if the steward doesn't respond with faithfulness, everything comes apart. Not unlike Mr. Garcia, who didn't show up to work for six years. So stewardship is about recognizing that we don't own it. Recognizing that we're called to manage what we've been given as God has graciously given. And three, to recognize that stewardship requires our faithful obedience. Okay, so that's what stewardship is. Now the nitty-gritty. Let's talk about why we're resistant to stewardship. Okay, so so that's my assumption. Maybe maybe you don't feel resistant to stewardship. This idea that my life isn't my own and I'm going to trust my life to God's plan, purpose, and agenda to surrender my life to him. I often find this incredibly difficult because I have a plan and purpose and agenda for my life that I feel good about. I mean, maybe you have a five or 10 year plan. You've got it all put together. You know the course and direction of your life. But the problem is we often do that independently of inviting God into the process. So so let's talk about why we might be resistant to this idea of stewardship. And, And I think the first reason that we're resistant to this idea of stewardship is that it feels like a loss of freedom or it feels like a restriction of our freedom. Do you feel that? I mean, we we like this idea of being an owner. I get to call the shots. I get to do what I want with my life. But the moment we start talking about stewardship and the moment we start talking about surrendering our purpose for our life over to God and saying, God, what would you have me to do? It feels like a restriction of our freedom. And we just don't like that very much. But what I want us to recognize is that the way that God calls us to steward our life is not just about the impact that we can have, but the way that God calls us to steward our life according to his purpose, he does so because God has our flourishing at heart. And notice twice in this passage, I thought this was fascinating. I'd read this parable several times, and it wasn't until this conversation in my growth group that I saw these two passages or these two verses. 21 and 23, as the servant with five bags of gold and the servant with two bags of gold, as they come back and say, master, here's what we did. Notice what the master says in each place. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Now catch this. He says, come and share your master's happiness. The right stewardship of our life, aligning it with God's purpose, is an invitation into flourishing and joy that God has in mind for us. And there's times when God has to direct our course of life in a way that aligns with his purpose that is different than what we would choose for ourselves, but we have to trust that God is, is directing us into a place of joy and into a place of flourishing that fills his purpose. Let me say it this way. Um, I have three kids, three beautiful little girls, ages three, four, and six, which means I haven't slept in six years. (laughs) So particularly my three-year-old, my wife and I like to use the adjective saucy. My three-year-old is saucy, right? She can sometimes, she's spicy, right? So our, our typical 
kind of routine throughout the week, especially in the summer, is we, we get home from daycare and we go and we just, we play outside because something about the heat and the humidity and just playing hard, it just, it wears them out. And so hopefully they sleep through the night. So, but after we do that, so we'll play outside, we eat dinner, and then we usually, we settle in on the couch and we watch 25, 30 minutes of, of a movie or a show. And, and frequently this happens where my three-year-old, when I say, all right, time to brush your teeth, we're going to bed, she'll go, dad, I'm not tired. Right? And if you're a parent, you've had this conversation. She'll go, dad, I'm not tired. And I'll say, oh, sweetie, but like your eyes are kind of glossy and you, you look exhausted. And it's usually at this moment that the emotional eruption happens, right? And suddenly she erupts into tears and she goes, but daddy, I'm, I'm not tired and I want to watch the movie. And on my better days, I say, yeah, sweetie, but your, your state right now, like the tears and everything, like that's telling me you're tired, right? On my worst days, I'm just like, go brush your teeth. Nobody cares right now, right? <laughs> Dad's tired, right? I don't always get this right. I'm, I'm on my own journey, just like you, right? <laughs> but there's this moment, right, where I, I have to help my daughter steward her time. She would choose to stay up for the next hour and watch a movie. And I know if she does that, tomorrow, nobody has fun, right? Because she's tired, I'm tired, everybody's grumpy. It just, it doesn't work. And so what I have to do is I have to guide my daughter into what's best for her, even though it's not what she would necessarily choose for herself. But I'm concerned first and foremost about her flourishing, right? And so when we think about uh, giving our purpose and agenda for our life over to God, we have to see it not as a restriction of freedom, but as an invitation into the life of flourishing that God has for us. God's purpose for us is not just to survive, to get through life and have a good time, but it's to step into the fullness of the purpose that he has uniquely for you. Asking God that question, how would you have me steward my time, talents, and treasures? So it feels like a restriction of freedom. Secondly, resistance to stewardship is the comparison to others. Some of us, you're still stuck in verse 15 where it says, to one he gave five, to another two, to another one. And you're going, wait, what about this inequity in the kingdom of God where not everybody has the same things to steward? And I think what this parable recognizes is that we don't all have the same gifts. We don't all have the same abilities. We don't all have the same financial resources. And some of us, because we've been locked in a pattern of comparison, we have rationalized not intentionally stewarding our time, talents, and energy. So here's what I think this looks like. For some of us, we look at someone who's been blessed with significant financial resources, and we look at them and we say, well, they've been blessed with a lot of money or things, so they should be generous. I don't have as much. I'll let them be generous. I'll sit this one out. But generosity is not about how much stuff we have. It's a disposition of life that says what I have is not fundamentally my own, and I will use it to be a blessing in God's economy. Or think about it this way. For some of us, we go to work every day, and we say, well, I'm not the boss. I don't call the shots. I don't make the systems. I don't have the influence that my boss has, so I'm going to go to work. I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to do my thing, and I'm going to go home. And what we do is we don't bring our identity as Christ followers to bear on that position in that sphere of influence because we say, well, I don't have what that person has, so I'm just not going to engage. And so we play this comparison game to rationalize, not intentionally stewarding what God has given us. But here, here's what I want you to recognize. Abilities are developed through the exercise of good stewardship. 
I mean, did you notice by the end of this parable, the two-talent servant is, now has the capability of, of stewarding four. The person who'd been given five bags of gold is now in charge of ten. I think it's likely if, if the one bag of gold person had stewarded that well, he would now have two. And what we recognize is as we push in to being faithful and obedient to what God has called us to, God is forming and shaping and doing this work in us to, to, to be the kind of people who can faithfully and effectively continue to bear witness to God's purpose. But the development of ability happens in the exercise of stewardship. I'm going to combine three and four. Resistance to stewardship. I think we resist out of fear that often comes from misperceptions about who God is. So you'll notice this last servant. Verse 24, he does this. Then the man who had had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man. You harvest where you've not sown and you gather where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And so he comes, and by the way, he plays the blame game. Nobody likes this guy, right? So he comes and he goes, well, I I didn't really do anything with what you gave me, but it's not my fault. See, the problem is, is that as the master, whoo, master's difficult, I mean, you, you should have seen him. There was this field. He didn't even plant it. He went and harvested this field he didn't even plant. Imagine how angry the master is going to be with me if I lose his money. And so he says, I was afraid. So he goes and he digs a hole and literally buries this money and does absolutely nothing with what had been entrusted to his care. So when the master responds to this, notice verse 26. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed? Catch this question mark. Sometimes I wish like we could just feel the sarcasm that comes through in that kind of verse, right? So the master's like, so let me get this straight. You know that I'm a hard person apparently, and yet you still weren't faithful and obedient. You were, you were so afraid of who you think I am that you went and just buried it? And what you see is the servant's perception of the master was a misperception. It wasn't founded on truth. And because of that misperception, he's afraid to steward what he has. And so he goes and buries it. And listen, for some of us, I think we have this fundamental misperception of God that he's some sort of grumpy, angry person in the sky who's just waiting for us to mess up. Or, or, or maybe he's the hard-driven father who has a standard of excellence that we can never meet. And so we think, why try? He's just going to be disappointed anyway. And for many of us, we have not grasped the heart of a father who says, steward this well, because I want you to come and share my joy. And because of our misperception of who God is, we're afraid to faithfully steward what he's given us. And because of that, I think we go to this next place of resisting stewardship, and it's passive resistance. We just disengage. So where the master confronts the servant, he says, you wicked, lazy servant. In other translations, that word lazy is translated slothful. I mean, Pastor Steve talked about that four or five weeks ago. The idea of sloth. The servant just decides, I'm not even going to engage. I'm just going to back out. I'm going to passively resist doing what the master has called me to do. And I think for a lot of us, it's not that we're living in active rebellion against God. It's not that we're saying, God, I forget you. I'm going to do what I want. For many of us, we're content if God's sort of the senile old grandpa in the sky that just overlooks everything we do. 
And so we just passively disengage and we walk through life getting sucked into the routine of just doing day after day after day without saying, how would God have me steward the time, talents, resources, opportunities, fear of influence that's right in front of me? Now, for others of us, I think we resist this idea of stewardship because we're performance-driven. We're so performance-driven that, that we read this parable and we go, see, this is actually uh, evidence of the difficulty of being performance-driven. Because we look at the story and we see the master commending these two servants and we go, well, of course he's going to commend them. They doubled their investment, 100% return on their investment. Who wouldn't commend that? But our assumption is that the master is rewarding the outcome, not that he's commending them for faithfulness. I think it's likely that had the person with five bags of gold been faithful and obedient and lost everything, that the master would have still said, well done, good and faithful servant. See, here's the beauty for us. God as our Father simply calls us to be faithful and obedient. He doesn't call us to determine the outcomes of our faithfulness or obedience. Let me read it this way. There was a a Jesuit monk by the name of Dominique Wyom. He said it this way. He said, if God wants it to, my life will be useful through my word and my witness. If God wants it to, my life will bear fruit through my prayers and sacrifices. But the usefulness of my life is his concern, not mine. It would be indecent of me to worry about that. See, what we think is we think we have to steward what God's given us and we have to also make the fruit happen. But God never calls us to determine the outcome. What God calls us to is to faithfully step into the spheres of influence, to faithfully steward the time, talents, energy, resources that God has given us and trust that on the other side of faithfulness, God will bring the fruit. You and I cannot cause life change in the life of another person. Only the Spirit can do that. But we are called to bear witness to truth. We are called to bear witness to the hope of redemption through Jesus. So here's the question. Why does stewardship matter so much? Why does it matter that I faithfully and obediently bring my time, talents, and abilities to the table and offer them in service to God? And I think part of what we miss sometimes is that there is a deep and a profound communal implication of how we steward our time, talents, and abilities. First Peter 4.10 says it this way. First Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as, catch this, faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Use whatever gift. He doesn't say that, oh, this is the gift you should have. No, 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 whatever gift you have. Use it to serve others, catch this, as faithful stewards of God's grace. That in, 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 in the ways that you have been gifted, in the person that God has designed and created you to be, you are a steward, literally, it says, of the grace of God. So that when we bring our time, talents, and energies and offer them intentionally in service to God, suddenly ordinary everyday things like our job, like our family interactions, all of those become divine opportunities to bear witness to God's grace. And as you bring your unique person and gifting to the table, you become a conduit, a means through which the grace of God flows and impacts the life of another person. So if I say, what do I matter, and step out of the, pa- the picture and live in passive resistance, I rob someone of the opportunity to encounter God's grace uniquely in the way that I can bring it as I've been gifted and created. And you have no idea who waits on the other side of your obedience. 
I know I've told this story before, but in college, I got in a fight with God because I told him I wouldn't preach anymore. I had to preach at the church I was interning at, and I was up physically ill all night because I was terrified of preaching. And I told God, I'll do tomorrow because it's too late to call in sick, but I'm done. And I I remember driving to church that morning, and, and the Spirit very plainly whispered in my heart, you don't get to choose what to do with what I've called you to. And after the service that day, there was a, a, a young guy, he was, I think, junior, senior in high school, who gave his life to Christ that day. And as I drove home, God impressed that deeply in my heart. You have no idea who waits on the other side of your obedience. And it was nothing I did that brought him to Christ. It was the work of the Spirit. All I did was show up hesitantly faithful. <laughs> Sometimes that's what faithfulness looks like. It's hesitantly showing up and trusting that God will do what only he can do. Michael Wilkins says it this way. He's, he's a scholar in the, in the book of Matthew. He said, Jesus' discipleship community, that's us, the church, is the primary instrument by which the reality of the gospel of the kingdom is made known to a watching world. I mean, can we just admit we live in a world that is broken and shattered by the effects of sin and evil and brokenness? And it's the church, not, not, not the church's organization, not the church's this building. It's the discipleship community. It's left and right, the people you're in the pew with, collectively us as a body, bringing our gifts to the table and bearing witness to the reality of God's redemptive purpose. So how do, how do we apply this this week? I, I want to leave you with four reflection questions. I want you to think about and reflect on how you're stewarding your life in four areas. Think about how you're stewarding your possessions. So your financial means, the the material things you've been blessed with, how are you stewarding stewarding those things? Your power, this is influence. The spheres of influence that God has blessed you with, how are you wielding that influence? Are you intentionally stepping into moments with the awareness of how you can bring God's grace and God's presence to that place? And listen, I don't care if you're the CEO of a major company, a stay-at-home parent, or just a volunteer for the neighborhood watch. You have a sphere of influence, so push into it. Third, I want you to think about how are you stewarding in the area of people, the relationships that God has blessed you with? Have you invited God into those relationships? Have you invited God into that place? And finally, priorities. How are you stewarding your time? When you think about where you're investing your time and energy in these four arenas, what does that look like? Have you invited God into that process? Because I think the stewardship response is one of surrender and submission of our agenda to God's purpose. And as we surrender our agenda to the purpose of God, we do so to a father who says, on the other side of faithfulness, come and experience my happiness with me. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. And I thank you for this idea that You have um, given each one of us gifts and opportunities to make a kingdom impact. But Father, you don't don't call us to somehow like step in and, and, and do it in our own strength. All you call us to is to be faithful. And so Father, this morning, I pray that we would do the deep soul work of asking, how am I stewarding my influence? How am I stewarding my relationship? How am I stewarding my finances? How am I stewarding my time? And God, I pray that we would shift from being owners that say, I can do what I want to stewards who say, God, how would you have me live? 
So Father, give us the courage to surrender this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.